0: I'm going to ask for a little bit of your grace this morning. Um, uh, I've not been feeling well, and so I can't get too excited. Uh, otherwise, I start coughing, and we won't get anywhere today. Um, and so I appreciate your grace in advance, and I apologize if I can't be as energetic. Um, <clears throat> this week, uh, we visited with some friends on Sunday after church, so we could go today. And while we were visiting with them and catching up on on life. Um, the, the woman began to tell the story of how the night before that, that she and her husband had been at the bowling alley here in Lebanon with their, one of their sons and their grandchildren— she shared how at one point during the evening, the youngest granddaughter kind of grew tired of uh, the bowling, and so she started to mess with the different machines. I guess they're vending machines or gaming machines at the bowling alley. I've never been to Lebanon's bowling alley, but she came back uh, really excited and presented her grandma uh, with this capsule. I asked to borrow it today, uh, and in this capsule is uh, a toy figurine of, of Jesus, of all things, um, very Western, uh, very white, uh, but, but Jesus nonetheless. And uh, she gave it to her grandmother because she knows her grandmother loves Jesus. And her grandmother, she's telling this story, said something along these lines as she's holding up this capsule with Jesus inside of it. She, she said, now I have to figure out what I'm going to do with Jesus. Um, I, I am honestly not sure how I feel about Jesus. Uh, my savior and the son of God being made into a figurine and stuck in a machine in a bowling alley. Um, But what I do know is that although she was asking that question uh, about this toy figurine, that that question really is the most significant question in life, isn't it? I have to figure out what I'm going to do with Jesus. Uh, You have to figure out what, what you're going to do with Jesus. Um, I'm very grateful that the home that I grew up in uh, was led by a mom and a dad uh, who who both had decided what they were going to do with Jesus. And I know that makes uh, my story unique because in this room, there are many of you who didn't have that opportunity to grow up in a home where both mom and dad knew what they were going to do with Jesus now, my parents, just so you know, they rewrote the story for their family. And my parents' family of origin, they are first generation, generation followers of Jesus. Um, my mom and dad didn't grow up in homes where Jesus was important. And so when my parents decided they wanted to get married, Uh, They came to a minister. His name was Bob Shoup in Bismarck, Illinois. And uh, they said, hey, we want you to marry us. And and he said, okay, I will under two conditions. One, you have to let me do pre-marriage counseling with you. And two, uh, every week between now and your wedding, you have to be in my church on Sunday morning. And so my parents, because they wanted to get married, ended up in church every Sunday over those months of premarital counseling. And in that journey, they were introduced to Jesus, and they were introduced to God's purposes for their lives, so much so that they decided uh, that they wanted to trust and follow Jesus. They decided how they were going to answer that question, what am I going to do with Jesus? Uh, They recognized that Jesus was, in fact, God's Son and the Savior of the world. They recognized that he was the solution to their sin problem, not just their sin problem, but the sin and evil problem throughout the world. And it forever changed the trajectory of their lives, and it affected the trajectory of my own life. Because I got to grow up in a home then where my parents would answer that question, what am I going to do with Jesus? And they decided I'm going to trust him and I'm going to follow him. And so they did the best they could to put me in an environment as well as my siblings where we could learn about this Jesus who changed their life. And so they tried to make him the center of our home in the best way that they knew how. And so as I grew older, I reached that fifth, sixth grade age, and I'm wrestling, and I'm hearing all these stories about Jesus and how Jesus uh, wants to change my life and how Jesus came and died for my sins. And I I hear the stories of the Old Testament, how they build to Jesus and how Jesus wants a new way of life for me. And then I'm wrestling as a 10 or 11-year-old with what am I gonna do with Jesus? And then on July 16th, 1989, I decided... Uh, what I was gonna do with Jesus. I decided to trust and follow him and I decided that he must be, in fact, the son of God, the savior of the world and the solution for my sin and the evil in the world. And so I responded to the life that God was offering me in Jesus and I put my hope and my faith and my trust in him. I was baptized at a camp in swampy Florida and uh, my life has forever been changed. I don't know how you heard about Jesus. Jesus. I don't know who helped you first come face to face with that question in your own life. What are you going to do with Jesus? Maybe it was your family of origin. Maybe you had a great opportunity like I did to grow up in that home. But again, uh, if statistics are right, uh, the likelihood of that is, n- is not true for you. And so for you, was it a friend? Was it someone who invited you to coffee? Was it someone who invested in a relationship with you? Was it a family member who spent time with you? And as you began to see how their life was different, how they had this peace and this joy and this kindness and this um, self-control and, and, and faith in their life that you wanted to know more, and so they shared with you who Jesus was and what he had done for them. Is that what drew you to Jesus? Or, or maybe uh, you're here or maybe you're watching online and you're just curious about Jesus right now and you're still trying to figure out the answer to that question. Like you get it, you know that uh, Jesus can't just be a good teacher and he can't just be a good man because uh, of the things that he says about himself and the things that the Bible declares about him but you're not quite sure what you're going to do with Jesus. But it all comes back to that question. And again, my friend is just asking it about a toy. My, my friend has already decided what she's gonna do with Jesus. Uh, he is uh, her savior and he is her king but the question that she asks about this toy is a question that I can't get away from. What, what am I going to do with Jesus? Well, what are you going to do with Jesus? We're in this series called The Basics, and, and, and the hope behind Basics is that it's just this really simple way of understanding the gospel. And when we use that word gospel, we're talking about this great news, this good news of, of who God is, who you are, what God has done, and what God has called you to. Basics is simply an acronym that helps us articulate that incredible story about the gospel. So far we've looked at the B, the A, and the S. Uh, The B reminds us that there's this big God, a big God who made you and formed you and created you, a big God who loves you, a big God who has purposes for your life. The A reminds us that there's an adversary uh, who stands opposed to that. He rebelled against God and he's been trying to get humans to rebel against him since the beginning. Uh, He wants nothing more than for us to move away from God's purposes and his intents. But we saw in week two that the adversary is not all powerful, that he's limited and he's defeated. And last week we saw that the story doesn't end with the adversary, uh, but Jesus gets the final say, that God has supplied a solution in Jesus. Uh, God has made a way through Jesus, through his life and his death and his resurrection, to not only defeat the spiritual forces of evil and darkness in this world, but to satisfy God's wrath and his justice uh, so that we can um, be made whole and be made new if we trust and follow Jesus. So, we've seen the big God, we've seen the adversary, we've seen God's solution, but but all of this ultimately leads us to this place where we don't get to experience that new life that Jesus supplies unless we respond to God's invitation. God invites us into that life. And so, what will we do with Jesus? Will we believe? Will we receive? Will we accept? Will we trust? Will we follow? And that's what we're going to focus on this morning, is this invitation of God. We have to figure out what we're going to do with Jesus. To help us in this, we're going to look to the words of a man who himself faced that question, uh, and, and that man is uh, John, uh, the disciple of Jesus. Uh, when you read the New Testament, you will come across uh, the name John a few times. Uh, one's primarily related to John, the disciple of Jesus, and, and one is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. And sometimes if you're new to the Bible, that can be confusing to you. But here's what we have to remember, uh, is that just like in our day, there are people with the same name even in this room, that there was a way to differentiate. John the Baptist, John the baptizer, uh, was the cousin of Jesus, a prophet sent from God uh, to prepare the way for Jesus. And John the disciple is a man who decided to trust and to follow Jesus. But before we jump into John's account of the life of Jesus that we call the book of John, or the Gospel of John. Uh, We're going to look at John's story of how he met Jesus. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, as well as sections of Mark and Luke, uh, tell the story of how John, the disciple, uh, came to trust and follow Jesus. When he was faced with that question, what am I going to do with Jesus? Jesus. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us that uh, John and his brother James were fishermen. Uh, They were out fishing with Peter and Andrew, uh, also fishermen, when Jesus came up to them. Here's how the story goes. This is Matthew 4, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen." Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets, and Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. It is likely that Peter, James, and John had all heard about Jesus before we know Andrew had when when John writes his account of Jesus's life he tells us that Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist and so Andrew already knew about him it's likely the story of of Jesus had kind of reached uh, John and James and Peter's ears but this is the moment they come face to face with him and, and the presence of Jesus and his invitation his simple invitation come and follow me uh, presents them with the question what am I going to do with Jesus and we see that Peter and Andrew, James, and John all respond by leaving everything to follow him. They decide in that moment that Jesus must be more than just a good teacher, that Jesus must be more than just a good person, that Jesus is who John the Baptist had declared him to be, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so they left everything. They left their careers. Like, like just let that rest on you for a moment. Like, like these men, their livelihood was fishing. That's how they supplied for their needs and the needs of their family. And in that moment, when Jesus invites them to come and to follow him, they leave it all behind. They enter into a new life full of uncertainty. And the only thing they know is that this man is so much more than a man. That the, the two-word invitation, come, follow me, follow me, that invitation, was a common invitation by, by rabbis. They would invite students to follow them and by following them they meant come live with me, learn from me. Uh, There was a phrase that they used for uh, early disciples following rabbis. They would talk about being covered in the dust of their rabbi. They would walk so closely behind their teacher They'd be covered in their dust. They would see how they responded in situations. Uh, when they clung to certain verses within God's word, like, like how they lived their whole life and their goal was to become just like their rabbi. And so in that moment, Jesus says, come, follow me. He's issuing this invitation, come, decide what you're gonna do with me right now. And they decided that they would trust him and they would follow him. And so when we look into the words of the book of John this morning, we're listening to, we're hearing from, we're reading the words of a man who had made a decision himself what he was going to do with Jesus. But here's the really exciting thing about John is that John was so changed by this decision to trust and follow Jesus that he made it his mission to help other people answer the question, what am I gonna do with Jesus? I want you to see this in John chapter twenty. Uh, John writes and tells us the whole purpose in why he records uh, this kind of biography of Jesus' life. It introduces us to him, what he did, what he said, what happened to him. Here's what he says, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Uh, by the way, at the end of chapter 21, he'll say that uh, he supposes that if um, all that what Jesus did was recorded, that there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain it. Jesus says, like, Jesus did so much more, John says, Jesus did so much more than this, but he says, I chose these, verse 31, but these are written, why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed rescuing King from God, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. John says, I chose the stories to tell. I chose the sermons to record for one purpose, and that's that you would come to believe as I have, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is God's solution. And that by believing, by orienting your whole life around him, that you would find life in his name. What was corrupted in the Garden of Eden as we looked at God and his purposes and his plans and the adversary. Life. Death entered the world. Adam and Eve are cut off from the tree of life. And here's John saying that when we believe, when we orient our lives around Jesus, and that word believe is so significant in John's gospel, it occurs again and again and again. And by the way, belief in Jesus' day, belief for John's culture, belief still for our Eastern world, if you think of Uh, uh, Moving into the Middle East, uh, to most of the continent of Africa, people groups there. When you think about Asia, um, belief has not so much to do with what you think and hear, but, but what shapes your whole life and your behavior. Belief is not an intellectual exercise for Jesus or for John. It is something that you recognize here that shapes your whole life. It's about total life alignment. Belief is always accompanied by action for Jesus, for John. And it still is in the world to this day, uh, in the eastern part of our world. So, So John talks about believing, about our whole lives being affected and changed and shaped by this truth about who Jesus is, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that as our whole life is shaped by it, as we respond, as we accept that invitation, we get to have life again in his name. So it shouldn't surprise us that if that's John's whole purpose, that he wants other people to answer the question as he had, what am I gonna do with Jesus? That he begins his record of Jesus' life by presenting this choice. What are we gonna do with Jesus? The, the prologue, and if you, if you love the prologue of, uh, of John's account of Jesus' life, uh, I do, uh, you're gonna be disappointed because we don't have time to dive into all the, the beauty and wonder that's here this morning. Uh, but I wanna emphasize uh, kind of how John sets up this question of what we're going to do with Jesus. We're gonna read verses one through 14 and then focus on verses nine through 13. John writes of Jesus, uh, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light, the Word, Jesus, shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptizer. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He's preparing the way. He himself, John, was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, a witness to Jesus. John the disciple writes that the true light, Jesus, the word that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. Verse 11, he came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, there's that word believe again, he gave the right to become children of God children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or husband's will, but children born of God. Verse 14, the word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Uh, Just some layers here. John tells us that this word that became flesh is, in fact, the Son of God. It's Jesus. But he shows us just how incredible Jesus is. And I would invite you to see that even as we think about the basics, a big God, an adversarial solution, these first few weeks, that shows up in, in even this prologue of John's gospel. He he echoes back to the creation account in in verses one through three. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning, Jesus was there. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Nothing has been made without him. So he's this big, incredible God. That's who Jesus is. And there's a a problem with the enemy. There's a problem with evil. There's a problem with the adversary because this light shines in the darkness. There's darkness, but the darkness doesn't overcome it. The darkness doesn't get final victory but the true light is coming into the world. God's solution is coming. What will we do with Jesus? So look at verses nine through 13. The true light that gives light to everyone is coming into the world. He's in the world, and though the world is made through him, the world did not recognize him. We begin to see that there are those who don't quite fully understand who Jesus is. And among them are some of his own people. Look at verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus comes to his own people. Jesus comes to the ancestral people of God. Jesus comes to Israel. And yet many of them refuse to receive him. That word receive is pretty important in this passage. It's a word that speaks of welcoming. Uh, It's a word that speaks of accepting. It's a word that speaks of of, of inviting Jesus in. It's it's a concept that's about trusting Jesus. So he said he came to those which were his own, but his own refused to receive him. His own refused to accept him, his own refused to see who he really was. When they were presented with the question, what are you going to do with Jesus? They gave him an emphatic response, nothing. I'm not going to allow this truth of who Jesus is and what God is doing through him to affect my life. But John says that's not how everybody responded. Look at verse 12. He says, yet to all who did receive him, so some welcomed him, some accepted him, and and to those who welcomed him, to those who believed, again, there's that word again, those who aligned their lives around his name, his character, his reputation, who he is, he gave the right to become children of God. So if you see this setting up, here's a man named John, who's invited by Jesus to come and to follow him. He's invited to make a decision. What are you going to do with Jesus? I'm gonna trust that you are the son of God, the savior of the world. I'm gonna follow you, Jesus. He is so changed. He is so affected by Jesus that he writes an account of Jesus's life, empowered by God's spirit to help convince as many people as possible to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, that they will decide what to do with Jesus. And as they do, they will find life in his name, They will find the life. They will become children of God. And he tells us in the prologue that that there are those who will encounter Jesus and they will say, no, I I don't want to do anything with Jesus. But there will be others who say, yeah, I believe That there's a big God who loves me, who made me, who formed me, who has a purpose for my life. And there's an adversary who's wreaking havoc against God's purpose and God's design. But but God has given me Jesus as a solution to make a way, and I have to choose to accept that. I have to choose to respond to the invitation that God gives to find my life in him. What are you going to do with Jesus? What am I going to do with Jesus? That's the question we have to answer. And so the invitation God gives is: you can find life. You can be a children, a child of God. You can be among God's children. You can experience life, the beauty, the joy, the purpose, the meaning that God has for you. But it comes down to what you're going to do with Jesus. Will you respond to him? Will you choose to trust him and follow him? That receiving, that welcoming is that acceptance and that trust, that believing is that whole life realignment around him. That's why we say here that our definition for disciple at Lebanon Christian Church is a disciple is someone who trusts and follows Jesus. We receive him and we believe in him. We we orient our whole life around him. Again, not just an intellectual exercise, but a total life alignment. Action accompanying what we believe up here. Trusting and following Jesus Here's what John would write in one of his letters to early followers of Jesus, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. He says that anyone who claims to live in him, to live in Jesus, must live as Jesus did. It's it's this invitation to come learn from him, to live like him, to be changed by him, to surrender to his ways. And that's why the final two parts of basics are change and surrender, which we'll look at in the coming weeks. But we'll never get to the transformation that Jesus brings we'll never get to what happens as we surrender to him if we don't respond to his invitation and answer the question, what am I going to do with Jesus? So here it is, what are you going to do with Jesus? Do you believe that there is a big God who made you, created you, loved you, formed you, made you in his image? has a purpose for your life? Do you believe that there is an enemy, an adversary who's working against that, who has led you astray before and and your, your relationship with the God who made you is broken and severed because of your own rebellion? Do you believe that God has provided a solution in Jesus? Then will you respond by following him, trusting him and following him? What does that look like? Well, scripture gives us a pretty clear uh, picture. If you look at um, everything after these accounts of Jesus' life Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you look into the book of Acts in the early church, and you look into Paul's letters, and John's letters, and Peter's letters, you kind of see this picture come into focus. This is what it looks like to trust and follow Jesus. We believe, uh, we confess, and we repent, and in faith, we are baptized. If you look at Romans chapter 10 verse 9, it tells us that when we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. There's belief and there's confession. We pair that with the full counsel of God's word. You look at places like Acts chapter 2 verse 38 and we see repentance and baptism. By the way, this is in response to a question Peter preaches a sermon on the day of Pentecost. Uh, People are cut to the heart and they ask the question, what must I do to be saved? And, And so Peter says, this is what you need to do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so when we take this and the normative practices we see in the book of Acts, we kind of get this picture that to trust and follow Jesus means that we respond to Jesus by believing in him. And that shapes our life to confessing him as Lord, to repenting, which is turning from one way of living, turning towards him, reorienting our life around him. And we're baptized into him by the way, there's not time for it this morning, but Romans chapter six gives us this beautiful picture of the significance of baptism, where we are buried with Christ in the waters of baptism, our sins buried with him, and we rise from the water into a new life with Jesus, and his spirit fills us. If you're looking at how you should respond to what I do with Jesus... If you believe those other things are true that we've talked about in the preceding weeks, your next step is to trust and follow him by surrendering to him in faith and entering his life in faith and in baptism. And we have a decision team that's available every week now. Uh, there's a man and woman at the front of the room and they would love to help you um, talk through how to, how to trust and follow Jesus. But if you've already made a decision to trust and follow Jesus, if you've already said, this is what I'm doing with Jesus, I figured it out, uh, then the questions for us become what parts of our life are yet to be affected by him? What, what, what in our belief have we failed to allow him to transform in us? Does, does the way we approach our finances and the way we approach sexual purity and the way we approach our conversations with colleagues, the words that we come from our mouths, how we treat the people around us, like are they reflecting what Jesus would do? And so we need to continually evaluate our lives to see where we're falling short and, and turn to the Lord to help correct that behavior to help us become more like Jesus. But for all of us, it comes back to this question. What am I going to do with Jesus? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the chance to to share your word with people this morning. And Father, I pray that uh, you would help us wrestle uh, with this question. And God, that we would choose, as John did, as Peter and Andrew and James did, as many others have, to to trust and follow you, to receive, to accept you, to to believe and to find life in your name. God, for those that have yet to make a commitment to follow you, God, draw them to you. Um, For those of us that have, God, convict us of where maybe we've not allowed you to to shape our lives, that we would open them more fully and completely to you. God, would you lead us and help us? And it's your name we pray. Amen.